0: Well, we are so good at offending other people and so often being offended, our, our world is just full of, of that kind of stuff going on. And you know, that's something about humor. Humor often is funny if it's mostly true, you know? It's like take something that's true and just pushes it a little bit more. And, and um, so we've been talking about how do we become the opposite of that? How do we become unoffendable? You know, like Jesus who, who didn't like curl up in a ball and say, I need my safe space, right? You know, he, he, was, he was resilient. He was, he was unoffendable. He wasn't fragile and easily, you know, his feelings get hurt. And so we've been talking about different things that we need to have in our lives to be unoffendable. One of them is, is, is uh, to, to not build walls, but to build bridges with people. Because if you're offended, you put the wall up, right? You want to defend yourself. And, but, but Jesus wants us to build bridges. That's what he came to do. And we need to be a bridge-building church. We need to be bridge-building people. And in fact, in two weeks, we want to do that as a church family. We have our Be the Church Sunday, which used to be called Don't Just Go to Church, Be the Church Sunday. But that barely fit on a t-shirt front and back. So we've shortened it. But essentially, you know, we're going to all gather here at nine o'clock, so you got to get up early. All right, we're going to gather at nine. We're going to get a donut, a t-shirt, and an assignment. And you can sign up for your assignment now if you want in the the lobby afterward. If you're online, there's going to be some things that you can do as well as far as writing. and, And maybe in your community, there's a place that you can go and help somebody near you. But we also need projects so if you know of a, a elderly couple, a neighbor or a widow, or you know of a, a park that, are, you know, recently there's a man this morning and he's in charge of a, a cemetery that recently, like the people in charge of the cemetery died and nobody's in charge and they have no money and it hasn't been mowed all year. And so he's, he's like trying to get this thing going and he's like, can you, can you just send people to like, make it look like something. And uh, so any, anything you can think of like that, you can also sign up and say, I have a project, here's my name, here's my number, contact me, and uh, we'll try to see if we can do that. Um, so build bridges, right, not walls. That, that's what unoffendable people do. And then also they go on a rescue mission and not on a hunting expedition. And so I, and that was, I got a lot of Navy guys in the church here, you know, including Ben. <laughs> And uh, you're not Navy, Army, all right. So let it be said. But Navy, they go out, they're transportation, and they go out and they destroy stuff, right? Whereas the Coast Guard, they go out and they rescue people. So we need to be a Coast Guard rescue church, not a Navy church, you know, in that way. All right, and I won't get in trouble. And there's a little girl in our church so who Alexis and she made this for me and her parents are right there and she spent a lot of time with her marker, it's really well done, and it says, God will rescue you. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So you know what? If you just said, Aw, you need to volunteer for our kids' ministry. <laughs> and maybe someone will make one of these for you because this is mine. All right. You can't have it. And it's great to be a part of a church that, that is literally impacting hundreds of children. We had our wet and wacky at the park this last week. And God held the rain off until after we could do the devotional where, where we talked about, um, you know, Jesus Christ dying for us. And, and I looked over and I saw a seventh grade boy praying with a little boy that had come uh, to accept Christ as his Savior. And you know what? I, I, if, you, if you aren't a part of our kids' ministry and kids don't annoy you half to death, you are missing out. You need to volunteer. If you hate children, you're, you're good right in here. But if you love kids, seriously, it, it really is rewarding to be a part. And, and there is no age limit, um, you know, to, to doing that. Um, if you're in sixth grade, you're not allowed. But if you're older, you can do it. All right. Um, so I'm getting sidetracked. So three things. So Build bridges, not walls, rescue expedition. And then last Sunday, Pastor Aaron from Vestal, he talked about um, saying no to pride and yes to humility and how important that is. And so today we're going to talk about this. To be unoffendable means you need to choose radical love over self-preservation. Radical love. Um, Love is risky. And we'll, we'll talk about some stories of where people really took some risks in order to love other people. And the first story I wanna tell you is about Brant Henson. He's a Christian radio host. And back in 2004, he was invited to go with a group to to give aid to people on the island of Sumatra in Indonesia after the 2004 tsunami. Uh, The 2004 tsunami is the deadliest natural disaster within the last 40 plus years. Haiti is a close second. Um, it, it killed in Indonesia over 200,000 people alone. And almost all of those within hours swept out to sea and drowned. And so they came, and this picture was taken 10 months after. Um, so, I mean, just so devastated for, for such huge areas that, that, I mean, how do you, where do you begin? And so he and this little group, they came and they did things differently than most groups. They set up tents and lived here with the people and handed out things and housewares and, 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 and got to know and built relationships with those. And, and um, as they did that, there was uh, a group... Uh, Indonesia is 90% Muslim. It's actually the largest Muslim nation in the world by population. And so there was a group of Muslims that did not like them there. They didn't like the Western influence, and they certainly didn't like Christians talking to their Muslim, you know, people about Jesus. And so they threatened to kill them. And, And so this is what Brant Hansen said about their time there. He said, we distributed food, housewares, cooking oil, that sort of thing, stayed on the ground in tents with them. That's how our little disaster response group operated, even though I wanted a hotel. (laughs) So he wasn't one of the usual guys. Like, so this usual team goes in, they've been in other disasters, and they said, hey, come along with us. And so we did. He said, we lived with the victims, but after the militant group threatened to slit our throats, I felt vulnerable Lying on the ground. As a dad with two little kids, I didn't sign up for the martyr thing. I took the threat seriously and I wanted to leave. The local imam resisted our presence as well. And this bugged me. That's like a Muslim priest. And as we distributed supplies to nearby villages, people repeatedly asked the same question. Why are you here? They thought we were their enemies. They kept saying, but you are our enemy we kept saying, Jesus told us to love our enemies. And they said they'd been there for several weeks and they were getting ready to go. And the Amman that had been opposed to them being there invited them into his home for dinner. And at dinner, he explained, you're different from the other groups. The other groups, they come on boats and then they come ashore and they drop off stuff and then they leave. Or or they, they distribute supplies and then they go back inland to their hotels. He says, but you live with us, and and you listen to us. And he says, you're different. And so he showed them then this this big trophy that his 12-year-old son had won for memorizing the Koran better than anyone else in his class. And he was so proud of his 12-year-old son. And he said, here's a picture of him. And he said, have you seen him? Could you find him? could you look for him for me and by this time it's over a month after the tsunami you know and they were all crying and then he said something really crazy he said he's 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 a islamic imam and he says and would you take my children with you when you leave and raise them as your own because the area was so devastated. He had so little hope of of how were they gonna eat? How were they gonna survive? How were they? And here's some people who didn't just mail it in, but they lived among them and they loved them. And he said, could you take my kids? In saying that, first of all, his kids were in the room. (laughs) They heard him say that. But also, if that word got out to some of these other Muslim groups, it would cost him his life. To tell someone who's a Christian to take your children and raise them as their own, which would be as Christians, he, he could be killed for saying something like that, especially as an imam. What changes someone like that? How does someone go from, you're my enemy, I don't want you in this area, I want you out of my village, to would you please take my kids with you and raise them as your own? And self-sacrificial love that's not worried about self-preservation. That that's what made the change. It is one of the most powerful things in, in, in all of the world. Maybe the most powerful. They, take the kids. they couldn't take the kids. Like, they knew it would be unworkable. Like, they wouldn't let. Like, customs is not going to let you on a plane with Indonesian children. <laughs> like, that, you know... So, so they knew it wasn't an option, but it was just, you know, it was just so heartbreaking, yeah. And, and so another story I want to tell you about self-sacrificial love uh, happened over 2,700 years ago, and it's the story of Hosea. The story of Hosea is not a story we tell the little kids, okay? This is a Bible story, but not a kid's Bible story, but it's PG version, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman, or it can be translated a prostitute, and have children with her for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so we need to remember in this day and age, in that time, in that culture, um, a promiscuous woman or a prostitute was much more shameful and ostracized kind of person than today. So for Hosea to do this would mean ruining his own reputation, right? And why are you marrying her? Is she pregnant? You know, what would you do? Like, why were you in that area of town anyway? What, you know? And so God, now we have a lot of single people in our church, right? And wouldn't you love for God to tell you who you should marry? Wouldn't that be wonderful? God to just come down and say, man, you should marry this person. And so God does that with Hosea. Isn't that great? Not so great. And so I'm sure what Hosea is thinking, okay, so I'm going to marry this woman and then she's going to like love God and become this godly woman and we're going to live happily ever after and just ride off into the sunset on a horse. I mean, why else would God want me to marry her? What other possible plan could God have? And so often in so many of our lives, that's not been his plan, has it? It's not exactly how it went. And yet, this is God's plan. Goes on, so he married Gomer, not a lot of women named Gomer anymore. <laughs> that's an unfortunate name. Daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. So Jehu was a, a, a king who came to power in a very bloody way, and now his great-grandson is on the throne, Jeroboam II, who is also not a nice man. Um, so this is, he's saying, I'm going to punish this whole line of kings. And it started, some of, some of the, the bloody, violent uh, sin that these guys did started when Jehu did that massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. So there's going to be a battle in this town. So he's names his kid um, after a, a city or a town, which is not a bad thing. Someone said, what's wrong with the name? I said, it'd be like naming your kid Dallas, right? There's not, that's a good name. Dallas is a good name. And so this is a typical prophet thing, though, to do is to name your kid something. And so every time people meet your kid, they're like, oh, you're Jezreel. I remember what the prophecy was about Jezreel. And maybe you're older and they're like, yeah, and it happened. Or maybe it hasn't happened yet. And they're like, oh, I, I know that's what God said. And so, so this, this is what he does. And then it says, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. So he's got a son and a daughter. And then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah. I'll teach you a little bit of Hebrew. Lo means no. And so it means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. So God is saying, I am done with Israel. It has been hundreds of years of disobedience and evil. And there's never been full repentance. Never. Not one good king in all of Israel's. There was a civil war, Judah and Israel. Judah, like almost half the kings were good. Most of them were bad. Israel, they were all bad. And so he's saying, I'm done. I'm not going to show love. But can you imagine naming your kid not loved? Like... Ryan was definitely a better choice, (laughs) yet I will show love to Judah, and that's the southern kingdom, and many from Israel fled to Judah, this is why we call Israelites in Hebrews today Jews, it's a short for Judah, and he says, I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses, or horsemen, but I, the Lord, their God, will save them, and so he's saying, you know what, I'm done with Israel, but I'm not done with my people. And I'm going to continue to love my people. I'm going to persevere in that love. And after she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son and the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For you're not my people and I'm not your God. Um, This this makes me wonder what was going on in Hosea's marriage with Gomer at this point. And if you're a neighbor, what are you thinking? Firstborn's Jezreel, that's kind of normal. And then you get not loved and not my people or not mine. Uh, it's not, you know, there's something not good going on in the Hosea's Gomer's marriage maybe. And we, we don't know that, but we do know that after this, she leaves him and, and, and is, is having a relationship with another man. And maybe it even started before Um, but God, God then says, he says, yeah, so you're not my people anymore. And he says, yet the Israelites will be like the sand of the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted in the place where it was said to them, you're not my people. They will be called children of the living God. So he's saying, I'm going to turn away from you for, for a little while because of your sin. I'm not going to enable you to continue doing wrong things that hurt others and hurt you. I'm going to put an end to that, but, and and so I'm going to, I'm going to push you away, but then I'm going to come back. And, and it's this whole idea, it's just a great word, of perseverance in love. God's persevering love, century after century, millennia after millennia, continuing to love us when we have shown, when our parents have shown, when our grandparents have shown, when for generations we've shown that, that we're not worthy of that love. And he says, you know what, but I'm going to give you another chance. And, and that's what this story is about, perseverance. Um, met, a, met a man just a few days ago. His name was Trevor. And he was telling me about the broken relationship with, he had with his dad. His dad was in jail when he was little at one point. His dad was an addict. Um, don't know all that went down, but his dad did things that certainly made it totally understandable why Trevor had no relationship with his dad. And Trevor met this girl and then now they're engaged and then she said to him, you need to reconcile with your dad. You need to get things right, he's different now. He's not doing drugs, he's definitely not in prison, he's, he's got a, a different life, I, 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 he's receptive, he wants to have a relationship with you, you need to, to go, he's like no. No, you don't know what it was like. No, no. And then finally she wore him down. Women have a way of doing that with us, guys. And he's like, all right, I'll go see him. (laughs) But I'm telling you, it won't be. And it was much better than he feared. And it went well. And then he went to see him again and again. and, and, And he reconciled with his dad. And he called him dad again. And um, ten days ago, Trevor's dad, Scoop, was killed in a motorcycle accident in Lawton. And I know this because this is what Trevor said at the funeral. Two days ago, he got up in front of everyone and said, "I am so glad." And he pointed to her, my fiance, told me to reconcile with my dad. And I talked to him afterward and I said, do you have any regrets? He says, I have a lot of regrets, but none about reconnecting with my dad. What, what would have the last 10 days been like for him if he hadn't done that? You know, we think reconciliation is about that other person who's wronged me, who doesn't deserve it. And yeah, this will be good for them, but what's in it for me? But you know what? It's good for you. It's good for you to reconcile. Now you, you, you can't force this. Reconci- forgiveness is unilateral. You can forgive anything and anyone with God's help, but you can't reconcile unless they want to. And, and, and so here, you know, this is, this is something where God wants to reconcile with us, but if you don't wanna reconcile with him, guess what? There, there is none of that. And in this story, Gomer leaves Hosea, and Hosea reaches out to reconcile with her. But it's not an enabling kind of reconciliation. It's not like you can keep living with your guy on the side, but then you can live with me too. And no, no, it's you leave him, and you are faithful to me, and you change. And and I'm willing to forgive you and reconcile. And so that's what God calls us to do. Go beyond being offended. And pursue reconciliation, loving your enemy. And I'm telling you, the people that are the hardest to love are not Muslims over in Indonesia, they're our family, they're our spouse, sometimes a mom or dad, a brother or a sister. And, and you can't force the reconciliation, but maybe it's time you reach out again and don't don't reach out every day, don't reach out every week. don't you know, but every so often you need to see is is this person ready for reconciliation? If they're not, then you know what? That's it. You know what That is not safe. It, it probably will cause you anxiety. it may cause you to hurt all over again by their response to your offer of reconciliation, because they may think they're awesome and you're not, and they may not, you know, but this is what God calls us to do, and this is what God called Hosea to do. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she's loved by another man and as an adulteress. The crazy thing about this is she's still with the other guy. Really? Really? How about, how about we wait till she breaks up with him? You know, but no, God says, no, you don't wait. You don't take a passive. Reconciliation means you need to be active. You, you need to do this. And Hosea, what, you know, he probably said, what are the neighbors going to think? What's my family going to think? I married this promiscuous woman, and now I'm chasing her down? it will be like, oh, he's got it bad she's got him wrapped around her little finger. What an idiot Hosea is. Doesn't he see what everybody else sees? And he did, he did see what everybody else saw. But this is what God tells him. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. I guess raisin cakes was a thing. This reminds me of a story. Daryl Davis is a jazz and blues musician incredible pianist, won Grammys. And, but he loves smaller venues sometimes that he performs at. And, and after one particular performance, he came down into the audience and this man came up to him with his friend and started talking about the music. And they just connected on that a little bit. And he said, you know, I've never heard anyone play like Jerry Lee Lewis. And, uh, and, and he said, who, who was black? And he said, really? You've never heard a a really good jazz black pianist. We, we invented this form of music. And he's like, you did? No, you didn't. I'm like, yeah. And haven't you heard of him? And he ticked off all these black musicians. He's like, no, I've never heard of him. And he's like, actually, this is the first time I've ever talked to a black man. And Daryl said, how is that? And this guy's buddy started elbowing him. Tell him, tell him, tell him. And he said, well... It's because I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And Daryl started laughing. He thought the guy was pulling his leg. This was not in the 60s. This was like in in the last 15, 20 years. You know, and the guy, he's laughing, and the guy reaches into his wallet, and he pulls out, I didn't even know, they had cards. (laughs) He pulls out his member card and slaps it down right in front of Daryl. And then it got real serious. And, and Daryl came away from that exchange changed. And he said, I got a new mission in life. How can these people hate me when they don't even know me? And so he said, he set out to meet with and sit down and talk with as many clansmen as he possibly could for the rest of his life. 2019, he was at an event where this picture was taken, where he brought out the first of many robes that have been mailed to him after over 200 different clansmen have said they left the Klan after talking with Davis, Daryl Davis. Over 200. And I don't know how many hundreds of conversations he had, but I do know that they weren't seeking him out. <laughs> you don't like say, hey, I think today as a Klan member, I'm going to go talk to a famous jazz musician who's black and see if we hit it off. No, it was... It was Daryl Davis who was asking guys, and hey, do you know somebody? Can you set up a meeting? And I want to get together, and let's have have a beer, and let's have dinner, and let's talk. Let's maybe play some music together. Amazing. When people act like your enemy, when people are your enemy, Jesus says we need to pursue reconciliation. And again, it's not enabling. He wasn't saying, stay in the clan. I'm okay with that. Burn your crosses all you want. No, he's like, why? Do, do you want to have friendships with me and people like me? Well, then you need to rethink your thinking. Um, Reconciliation. When people act like your enemy, love requires redemption. So this goes beyond reconciliation. I don't know if there's a way of any of us here practically doing this. Okay, Jesus did this for us. Hosea does this for Gomer. But redemption means buying someone back. Um, and I'm not sure how we buy someone back. But this is what happened in, in this story. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about an omer and a lethic of barley. So not only was she committing adultery with someone else, but she got on financially hard times and was sold into slavery. A lot of people don't realize that slavery in the New Testament and Old Testament um, was was something that was not racial. It was economic. It was not, it was not approved of. It was. So like even the book of Philemon is about Paul writing to a slave owner and the slave is taking the letter to the owner and Paul says, set him free and treat him like your brother in Christ because he is. So the Bible isn't pro-slavery. There's stuff like that. But, but slavery was economic. So if you couldn't pay your bills, I, I won't ask for a raise of hands. Any of you have been bankrupt. But in, the, in, in this time period, if you went bankrupt, you didn't just lose your stuff your kids were sold, your wife was sold, you were sold, and you became a slave. And, and so that's her situation. And I don't know exactly, I had to research this. What, what ec- economically, what is he paying for her? At different periods in, in, in history, in different places, slaves are worth more or less money. So just before the Civil War, a typical slave in the American South cost about as much as a house because there was no slave trade. So you couldn't, you know, there was a limited amount. And so the, the amount of, I've heard upwards of 15% of the entire economy uh, or, or, or wealth in the South was, was slaves. Um, but at this period of time, This price, uh, an omer and a lethic of barley is like 430, 450 pounds of barley. This is a lot of barley, which was worth about as much as 15 shekels of silver, which is only six ounces of silver. But mining was very difficult back then. So essentially, I, I came to realize this was a little bit over a month's wages, which was really cheap for a slave, which meant she was not only a slave, but not one that was valued. And you, you think about Gomer's life. Uh, there weren't a lot of options for women back then. If there wasn't a dad who looked after him, if there wasn't, I mean, it was like the wild, wild west. If you were abused, there were no police. You went to your family and your family took care of it. Like killing the guy and all, you know, like it was... And if you didn't have a family, and if you were on your own, and you were a woman, you were incredibly vulnerable. I can't imagine Gomer got to this point in her life without being abused and used. And maybe when she was with Hosea, even, maybe she was like, you know what? I don't deserve this. You know, many times people, when they're abused, they, they blame themselves for it. I, I, I don't know what was going through her mind. And maybe she was like, I... I just don't deserve Hosea, I don't deserve a happy life, I'm just gonna be whatever, maybe, I don't know. But it was sad. But Hosea comes, can you imagine being Gomer, and then your husband, the prophet, the righteous, God-fearing man shows up after you've left him, after you've cheated on him, and now you're a slave of some guy. If I were Gomer, I would be horrified. Here he comes to tell me how stupid I've been. Here he comes to remind me of what I've lost, of what I could have had with him. He's going to just rub it in, just like all those other men who've left me, who promised me and then didn't follow through. But, but what was it like when this was the speech he gave her? Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. Gomer, I want to grow old with you. I want you to be there alongside of me for the rest of our lives. And you must not be a prostitute or intimate with any man. It's, it's not going to be the old way. It's going to be a different way. And I will behave the same way towards you. I'm buying you, I'm redeeming you. Now you're not only my wife, you're my slave. And typical man would say, and depending on how I feel on that day, be how I treat you. But he's saying, no, you're not my slave. I'm buying your freedom and I'm offering you to be my wife again, my equal. And I will, I will behave the same way toward you. We'll, we'll be equals. That is so powerful. And this is what God has done with us. And, and, you know, it's not very complimentary to Hosea for Gomer to say, hmm, slavery and abuse or getting back together with you, my husband. Well, I guess I'll go with you. And that's not really a great compliment, is it? You know, you have no options, you have no choices, your life is miserable, and now, now you'll pick Hosea. And it's the same with us and God. If God were proud, he would hardly have us on such terms. He's not, but he's not proud. He stoops to conquer. He will have us even though we've shown that we prefer everything else to him and come to him because there is nothing better now to be had. I tried living on my own for me, and that didn't work out. And then I pursued this girl or this, and that didn't work out. And then I thought kids would make me happy and that, that didn't work out. And now I, I got nothing. In fact, I, I meet some people sometimes and they say, you know what? I want to come to God, but I just need to clean some things up first in my life. You know, I, I'm a mess. I can't come to God like this. A slave? in an adulterous relationship with you know like like with nothing no 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 i'm going to clean things up i'm going to get better a little bit more presentable and then i'll ask god to take me that's not the way it works you will never be presentable to god what could gomer do to make things up to hosea nothing he didn't want money he didn't want he wanted time to go backwards and her not to cheat on him. But she can't do that. There's nothing she could do to fix it. And you know our relationship with God, there's nothing that he wants that we have except our love. And to surrender to him and to say you I, I'm, I'm not going to com- keep committing adultery on God. And I'm not talking about sexual sin. I'm talking about any sin. We put anything above God, what I want, some selfish thing, what I think is best and not trusting him and not doing what he wants. When we do that, it's, it's like we're cheating on God. And God says, stop cheating on me and I'll take you back. Even though it's not the first time or the second time. You got to stop but I'll take you back. And that's what he calls us to do. So I don't know who maybe you've been thinking of throughout this service, someone that you need to try to reconcile with. Maybe it's a former boss that you hated. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend that you used to hang out and then this happened or that happened. And and probably it wasn't your fault, but probably it was the other individual. But if you can reconcile, if you can restore, this is what God calls us to do, and the example of Jesus Christ. And let me just close with this if you have not reconciled with God, that is his offer for you today to trust him, to give your life to him, to ask him to forgive you, to let him redeem you. He's standing there with 15 shekels of silver and 450 pounds of barley. No, he's not. Because the price was a little bit more than that, wasn't it? It was the blood of Jesus Christ. It was his torture on the cross. It was his separation and taking our hell for us. And that's what he's saying. He says, I'll take your hell. But you got to come to me. You got to come back. He can't force us to reconcile. He offers us reconciliation and redemption. Heavenly Father, I just ask that if there's anyone here that has never asked you to forgive them and then beyond that has never said, and I'm going to stop living life for me and I want to give you my life and live life for you. God, may they do that this morning. May they do that right now. May they tell you that quietly with their own thoughts and minds and words right now God that we would be reconciled to you and and Lord I just pray that you would give us a ministry of reconciliation that you would put in our minds who who is it that I never really cared for that I don't really want to talk to ever again who is it that hurt me and that's no longer my friend no longer in my life that I can go to. God, just open our minds to who that might be and then give each and every individual here the strength to make a phone call, to drive over, to write a letter, and to see could there be reconciliation? God, I thank you for doing that with us through Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.